Hello, world, and welcome to the In My Footsteps podcast. I am Christopher Setterland, coming to you from the vacation destination known as Cape Cod, Massachusetts. This is episode 103. Well, hold up, hold up. We couldn't just start this latest episode and pretend like I've been here all along. We know that's not true. To be honest, I wasn't really sure how to actually start this episode. Since when I started this podcast in November of 2020, I was all in, all about it every week with the researching, recording, editing, marketing for well over two years, 102 episodes. But then there's been this gap. Those of you that have listened from the beginning, you know that I've been on kind of a break, a hiatus that stretched into six months. And there may be some of you that this is your first time listening to me ever, and so welcome in. You guys can go and catch up on those first 102 episodes wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, Pandora, all those good ones. In those podcasts and in future podcasts, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I've covered, and there's a ton more that I'm going to cover. It's New England and Cape Cod-based travel and history some fun 80s and 90s nostalgia, lifestyle topics, some stuff from my own life, self-deprecating humor that hopefully you've enjoyed, things that I never thought I'd share. To circle back around, though, this is the In My Footsteps podcast. This is the return episode, episode 103, subtitled Where I've Been. And it's not a season premiere, really. It's not a reset But I told you all, if you listened to the end of episode 102, that I'd be back. And I know some of you thought I never would, but I said later in the summer, and here it is, July, later in the summer, and I am here. But why did I take a six-month break? The short answer is I had a lot on my plate, and I still do, but I finally have cleared some room to put the podcast back in, and I definitely missed it. I missed having this voice I miss the interaction with the people who listen and the chance to make new connections along the way. Plus, selfishly, I have a lot to share and promote, and a podcast is one of the best ways you can do it. Social media posts that are just words, sometimes things get lost in translation, but when you tune in and you hear me and you hear my voice, you know 100% what I'm talking about. So to all of you who asked about the podcast, who were waiting for this episode to drop, thank you so much for sticking with me, and I hope that this kind of second act is all that you've hoped it would be. I've got a lot to bring up here, so this will be kind of a bonus episode, not a full-length one, because as many things as I've got to share about why I took my six months off, it's definitely not enough that I could do a full episode on it. There'd be a lot of filler, and it would probably get pretty boring. From the beginning, some of you who know me in real life or are following me through social media, a lot of this might sound familiar to you, but I never want to assume that you all know everything of what's been going on. So let's jump into where I've been. First and foremost, if you've listened to this podcast in any of the last 30 episodes or more, you know that I've been working on a true crime book Searching for the Lady of the Dunes, based around the infamous murder case on Cape Cod that was connected deeply with the documentary produced by Frank Durant. If you're not familiar with it, you can go back through my archives and find so much about the 
movie that I've basically lived in my life over the last two years. As we got deeper into the end of 2022, I was kind of in a rush to get this book done. I wanted to see it in print and have copies of it to be able to hand to people or ebooks for people to order. As much as I wanted it to be traditionally published, and I still do, I sent out dozens of query letters to literary agents, but I realized the fastest way was to edit it myself repeatedly ad nauseum, get everything set the best I could, and self-publish it. And that's what ended up happening. At the end of February, Searching for the Lady of the Dunes became available. It's available in a lot of online bookstores. You can order it to be delivered. It's got its own ISBN number. I used a great company called Ingram Spark. They're the biggest self-publisher wholesaler that there is. I highly recommend them to anybody who's looking to self-publish a book. I'll link to them in the description of the podcast if you're curious. The big thing, though, with self-publishing is I had to do lots of research as far as size of the books, the quality of the paper, sizes and specifics of the fonts, all this boring minutia that if you don't do books or writing, you wouldn't even want to hear about it. The writing, editing, and then self-publishing of the book was just the beginning, though, because now I've got this book and what do I do with it? How do I let people know about it? The way I've done that was twofold, two big things. First, I created my own website for the book and for the case, theladyofthedunes.com. I bought the domain name, and I'll put that link in the description of the podcast too. If you've seen me on social media, you know I've shared the hell out of that website. It's got links to buy the book, links to buy the documentary, other podcasts I did about the case, interviews that I did about the Lady of the Dunes, some of the Friends of the Projects, and pertinent newspaper articles that had to do with the case throughout the years. I definitely put a lot of work into the website, and I have no web building skills, but I did my best I could with it, and I hope you go and check it out. But the other big part of how I got the word out about the Lady of the Dunes and the Lady of the Dunes book was by publishing the actual Lady of the Dunes documentary on my own YouTube channel. And how this came about was Frank Durant, he's, you know, the producer, he's been waiting for one of his crew to get that documentary up on YouTube for people to see. And I don't know the ins and outs of what happened, but they basically dragged their feet for months and months until it kind of fell into my lap. We came to this compromise. I said I'd love to put it up on my YouTube channel, get the eyes on it. And he agreed on two conditions. One was that I couldn't monetize it, which you need a certain number of subscribers to do that anyway, and I'm not at that point. But I still promised him that I wouldn't. And the other condition was turning off the comments on the documentary. Because as great as the majority of the people that worked on the documentary and helped with the documentary and the book have been, there are still some that, you know, how can I say this diplomatically? They either didn't like the documentary, how it came out, or wanted to be a bigger part of it, and now have become more of a hindrance than a help to the promotion of the documentary. But it's now there on my YouTube page. I'll put a link to that as well. Which is awesome, because if you want to go and watch the documentary, you can go right now and watch it on my YouTube channel. All this stuff that I've been talking about for months, about the documentary, when it comes to searching for the Lady of the Dunes, my book, 
I'm still looking for a publisher because as great as it is to have physical copies of the book that I created and I published on my own, to be honest, it doesn't carry the cachet of having an actual publisher behind it. And that goes into another reason for my lengthy hiatus from the podcast. That's the two other books, traditionally published books, that are now out or coming out. At the end of May, I had Cape Cod Beyond the Dunes, which is a photography book through Font Hill Media. It's an offshoot of Arcadia Publishing, who I've worked with for three other books. And coming sometime next month, so August, is In My Footsteps, a Cape Cod travel guide. It's the second edition, the 10-year anniversary edition that I've been working on forever. That's a whole podcast segment in itself, the story of getting that book to come out. So with trying to get Searching for the Lady of the Dunes published traditionally, I'm also trying to market it. I'm trying to market two new books, set up book events. Even with having traditional publishers putting out these other two books and having marketing departments behind them, there's only so much that they will do. So a lot of the onus falls on the authors to set up their own events, which I don't mind. I'm very hands-on. But that stuff can take a lot of time. And right now I've got a handful of events that are set up in August, September, November. I'll share those as we get closer to the date so that if any of you want to come out and see me in person when I do them, you can. These are really the first in-person events I've done since before COVID. And it'll be fun to knock the rust off. I've been working really hard over the last six months and a lot longer than that on these three books through the various stages of their completion. And people who know me in real life know that I'm extremely stubborn and that can be a blessing and a curse depending on where it's used in life. When it comes to my career in writing, I'd consider it more of a blessing because I don't give up. There's that saying, so many people don't realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I'm paraphrasing it. Searching for the Lady of the Dunes is my proudest accomplishment in writing because it's a story that goes beyond the borders of where I live and can appeal to a larger mass audience. True crime might be coming a little bit off the boil, but it's still hot. So for me to have a book that is centered around what was a 50-year-old cold case where the victim was finally identified, that's a huge deal. Authors would kill to have that opportunity. But as blessed as I was to be chosen by Frank to do this book and put as much of my heart and soul into it as I could and do it to the best of my abilities, which I have done, the book has also been my most snake-bitten and my most rejected project, which it's a real double-edged sword. The book is totally based around Frank, his experiences, and it's from his perspective, which is how I wrote it. So his input, his recollections, that was 99% of what I used for this book. But when you write a book that involves other real people, you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen that want to be a part of making the dish. And you can't please everyone. And that's another thing is you've got to kind of stop trying to make everyone like you when you're doing a project like this. And I did my best to paint everyone in a positive light because I believe that. Everybody that helped Frank with the documentary and therefore helped me with the book, I think are great people, but sometimes that's not good enough. So I've had to do several rewrites of this book and have it republished on my own dime. It's cost me a pretty penny, but I've had to do my best to kind of blur those lines 
while also keeping the story as true to reality as I can. And I've already been rejected by several agents, and it gets disheartening when you put your heart and soul into something and you know that it's good. You're just hoping that someone else sees that. But there's a stubbornness that doesn't just extend to searching for the Lady of the Dunes. It goes back 15 years. I've written books, ebooks, self-published ebooks through Amazon's Kindle store when ebooks weren't even really a thing. I started a blog way back in 2008. I've written hundreds of articles for myself and for other publications. I made hundreds of YouTube videos. It's all time-consuming. I've done the podcast, all in the hopes of breaking through, trying to build that portfolio that makes me and my work undeniable. But that's not strictly to me. Everybody's got something that they're good at. Some people don't realize it and they go their whole life and never fulfill that potential that was right there. Other people know they're good at something, but it comes down to someone else validating your potential, which is a shame when you put your worth in the hands of someone else who doesn't know you or know what you've been through or know how hard you've worked. And I'm not singling out agents and publishers. I mean, they get hundreds and thousands of queries from people like me looking to get published. And I'm not saying I'm better than any of them or that I deserve more opportunities. It's just the stubbornness of hoping for that big break to be coming with the next project. I've mentioned a lot over this six months that I've been on break from the podcast. I mentioned on social media and to close friends and family that there's been plenty of times, especially over the last six months or so, that I felt like quitting and giving up on my writing, the content creation, and just settling into whatever mundane sort of everyday real life job that there is and just pulling down the sail and letting life carry me wherever it's going to carry me. And honestly, there's probably times that I should have done that over these past 15 years. I passed up on a lot of real-life events, times that friends wanted to go and do things, and I said, no, I can't. I'm working on a project, whatever it was, a book, an article, a video. I sacrificed lots of time with friends that I consider to be as close as family and family that, you know, they are family. And now that I'm in my 40s, those times are fewer and further between. And I guess you have to kind of have that blind devotion. If you're half-assing some project and then you're expecting to just get some kind of major windfall, you're not going to get it. Very few are those that fall ass backwards into success. Like I said, again, I'm too stubborn to give up and to quit because right now, if I quit all of this, then what were all those sacrifices for over the last 15 years? Why did I give up seeing friends and family and going and doing things? There's got to be a reason, right? Those of you who have put in the hustle, put in the work towards something that you love for so long, you know what I mean as far as sacrifices go. And all the people that have believed in me through all those years and been so understanding when I turn them down when I can't do stuff, I'd be slapping them in the face if I just quit. And I'm sure along the way, there'll be other points in life where I feel like quitting again. There's no set time. There's no hard out on me to give up on my dreams. It's not like if I'm not at this point by this time, it's over. And there shouldn't be a hard out on that. Because if you stop chasing your dreams, what the hell do you got left in life? There's plenty of times to get beaten down and have a job you hate. But chasing those dreams always gives you the hope that around the next corner is the big break. A big part of the reason why I started this podcast up again at this point in time 
has to do with some advice that I got. Those of you who are true crime buffs or big true crime podcast listeners, or those of you that might have grown up on Cape Cod, maybe you've heard of a podcast called True Crime Obsessed or one of its co-hosts, Patrick Hines. We went to school together, graduated high school, same year. We didn't really hang out so much, but we ran with kind of parallel crowds with some crossover. But I don't want to give too much of his backstory, because he actually has a book coming out, his own autobiography in September, which I can't wait to read. He's off doing a one-man show. He's also doing the Obsessed Fest for the podcast. He's a big deal. And I bring that up not to pump his tires, but because he didn't become a big deal overnight. He didn't snap his fingers and suddenly become a celebrity that's got his own Wikipedia page, which is the definition of success. He bet on himself. And I found it fascinating that his long road was 15 years. He spent all those years working mundane day jobs, much like I've done with what he loves being his side hustle, his true passion, and hoping and hoping that there was a breakthrough. His story sounded so much like mine. A few weeks ago, I was lucky enough, he put aside some time to chat with me because he's slammed. He's busy. If you know his life, he's super busy with all of his projects, plus having a family. And there were a few big things I took out of our conversation. Obviously, the fact that it took 15 years for him to break through True Crime Obsessed, I think he's been doing it about seven years now, but it didn't happen overnight. He finally said to himself he had to know if he could make it, almost like giving it that big push before you finally give up so that when you get older, there's no regret. You know you gave it your best shot, and if you fall flat on your face, you do, but at least you tried. Another big thing that came from my talk with Patrick and meeting up with him when he came and did his one-man show on Cape Cod back in May was that even though he's on a successful book tour and he's got a hugely successful podcast with more than 200 million downloads and he lives in Manhattan and he's touring the country, despite all of that, he's still himself. He's still the same person, which is hugely important because that means he succeeded without having to change who he was. It's like the old joke, selling your soul to the devil for some kind of talent. It's like the famous story of blues musician Robert Johnson and the crossroads and him selling his soul to the devil for the ability to play guitar. I would rather try and fail as myself than succeed as someone else, not being true to who I am. And after a long time, Patrick succeeded as himself, but it was a long road with struggles just like mine. And after speaking with him, I knew it was time to bring the podcast back. Like I said, I cleared some time. I don't have any new books that I'm writing. I went from three that I was working on to zero, and I don't have any that are currently planned. Now that could change, but as of right now, I don't. So it's great. I get to come back around to the podcast, which is something that I really enjoy. I've said it a million times. It's a passion project. If I get 20 listeners, great. If I get 20 million, great. But I've done this podcast totally true to myself, all the subjects that I like talking about, which means that you who listen like the same topics, maybe not all of them, but some of them. And it's great to cultivate that audience. I might end up creating some kind of Facebook group for people to chat in. I don't know how successful that would be, but Patrick brought that up because his true crime obsessed one has like 50,000 people in it. I know he'll probably never listen to this because he's way too busy, but I just wanted to thank him. 
I thanked him in person, but I want to thank Patrick Hines for giving me those great words of advice and how much I appreciate him taking time out of his busy life to talk to me. Yeah, we go way back. We went to school together, and he's just a super nice, sweet human being, but he didn't have to take time out of his busy life to talk to me about my struggles with my career, and he did that, which gives me confidence. Like, I'm worth the time, which means my work is worth the time, and that means a lot. I wanted to save this for towards the end of this episode, but those of you that listened to episode 102 know about the death of my Uncle Eric at the beginning of this year, and as far as my podcast went, it was kind of symbolic. I was starting to get burned out and overwhelmed, and losing my Uncle Eric and really having no chance to say goodbye, not even knowing that he passed away until the day after, it really sapped my desire for everything. It affected me a lot deeper than I let on to a lot of people. I was lost for a few months. I worked on searching for the Lady of the Dunes, but I was kind of on autopilot, just wanting to do my day job and hide from the world and process what was going on. Take a step back and look at myself and my life and my priorities. Probably about six weeks ago, we had a celebration of life for my Uncle Eric. It was the first really big family gathering that we had on that side of the family that we've probably had since my Uncle Eric and Aunt Emma used to have them at their house before they moved back to Las Vegas. Getting to see my Aunt Emma and my cousin Patrick after so long and talk with them and talk about how much my Uncle Eric meant to me. He was a second father, a father figure, the man that I wish was my own father. That really helped. Our last conversation we had, my Uncle Eric was talking about how excited he was about me doing the Lady of the Dunes book. And that was a big reason why I was pushing to get the book done so I could self-publish it, print a copy, and get it sent to him. And I didn't make it in time. But I was able to give a copy to my Aunt Emma and Cousin Patrick. It was important and it was cathartic to see them and kind of share some emotional conversations with them. Then it was even better that I got to see them and they came to the launch event for my Cape Cod photography book that was at Titcom's Bookshop in Sandwich. Ah, that was a great event. It was outside. Like I said, it was knocking off the rust because I hadn't done an in-person event in so long. And my aunt and my cousin were there to support me. And there were so many other people there, other family My Aunt Kelly, my Uncle Keith, my Aunt Amy, my cousin Donna, my work buddies, Heather and Maggie, and obviously my buddy Steve, who the photography book is dedicated to. Because yeah, I have a Cape Cod photography book in stores, but that book doesn't come about without the knowledge that Steve has taught me. I don't have photography skills. Any that I've got, he kind of imparted his wisdom on me. Hell, that's why I did the dedication to the craft interview and segments all the way back on the podcast but we circle this all the way back around talking with my aunt and my cousin and the advice from patrick hines and the belief that so many of you that have reached out about the podcast had in me all those things combined that's why this podcast is back and that's where i'm at i will say that the excitement and anticipation every time i release a new podcast it's like when a book gets released I can't wait to see how it does, how many people listen, their reactions to it, people that find me and interact with me on social media. 
I can't wait to hear from you after this episode because even though I said it's not a comeback or not a second season, I have been away for a while. As far as the future goes for the podcast, I'm not saying there's any imminent changes, but I am starting to look at what segments people enjoy more than others. There are certain segments that are harder to do, more work, more research, and I don't ever want this to be a job per se, where I think of it like when I used to work in restaurants and I would dread going in on a rainy summer day because I knew it was going to be awful. I want this to always be fun, and you'll know when I'm not having fun. But as far as tweaks go for the podcast, I might put out polls and such to see what people like and don't like. There might also be that Facebook page. We'll see if I create that. Be a grand opening and then collect cobwebs when I don't update it. Coming up next week, though, it's going to be episode 104, a full-length episode, back to the old format, at least for now. We're going to go back 10 years and talk about one of my favorite funniest stories and times when I had a talk show on a college radio station. Just writing down little anecdotes from that time, I was dying laughing. You're going to love it. We're going to take a road trip as far north in New England as we can go to the small town of Madawaska, Maine, right on the Canadian border. We'll go way, way back in the day, 30 years to the creation of Beanie Babies and the huge fad that came from it and what a bad investment it was for some. There'll be a brand new top five, going to be the top five creature feature films. A lot of boys my age, a little older, a little younger. You'll remember watching these on Saturday mornings or afternoons. And there'll be a brand new This Week in History and Time Capsule, all coming up next week on episode 104 of the In My Footsteps podcast. As for me, you can find me all over social media, Instagram, Twitter, while that's still running, my YouTube channel, go watch the Lady of the Dunes documentary. If you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee. There's a link in the description of the podcast. Any donations go to advertising the podcast to get more eyes on it. Visit my website, ChristopherSetterland.com. Like I said, another link in the description. The website's got everything you can need to know about me and my work. It was created, ironically, 15 years ago by my oldest friend, Barry Menard. He still updates it. I might be hitting him up for more updates soon. Like I said, I don't have any web design skills. My Lady of the Dunes website is very bare bones to the skill that Barry has. And go find any of my three new books on Amazon. Cape Cod Beyond the Dunes, In My Footsteps, A Cape Cod Travel Guide, the second edition, and Searching for the Lady of the Dunes, which even though it's self-published through me, it's on Amazon. You can go find it. Thank you all so much for tuning in. For all of you that have listened throughout, I hope you enjoy this kind of new chapter. For those of you that have come aboard in the time during the hiatus, welcome in. It's going to be a lot of fun. And remember, in this life, don't walk in anyone else's footsteps. Create your own path, and whatever you do, do it as you. Stay true to yourself. And enjoy every moment, because you never know when the next sunset is the last sunset. I'll be back next week. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been In My Footsteps, a Cape Cod in New England podcast. I am Christopher Centerlin, and I will talk to you all again soon.